based on my experience and everything I read, employees are going to be more engaged and they're going to be more loyal to the organization when they know that the firm cares about them, that leadership cares about them, that they're heard, that they're valued, and also how they contribute, that they're playing an important part and have a purpose in what the organization is doing and that they're part of a bigger vision. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Answering Legal's Everything Except the Law podcast. I am your host, Nick Worker. If this is your first time tuning in, this is the podcast where we share expert advice on all the parts of running a law firm that attorneys weren't exactly trained for back in law school. Now, in today's episode, we're going to be doing a deep dive into the topic of law firm culture. And joining us for this discussion is Melody Egan, a managing partner at the firm Lightfoot, Franklin and White. Melody is going to be talking to us about uh, the work her practice has done over the years to establish a positive culture and working environment and how those efforts have helped fuel her firm's success. Melody, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Nick, for allowing me to be here. I'm excited. So uh, I, by, let's jump into it. Uh, obviously, can you introduce yourself to our audience and tell us a little bit more about your role at, at Lightfoot Franklin & White? Sure, I'm happy to. So I'm Melody Egan, and I am the managing partner of Lightfoot Franklin & White, which is a law firm, an all litigation, uh, primarily defense law firm with 69 lawyers. We're based out of Birmingham, Alabama, and we also have a small office over in Houston. And so I've been now with the firm for over 28 years, actually been here longer than any woman in the building. Uh, and so I became the managing partner back in 2018. And in addition to being the managing partner, I do still maintain a law practice, primarily doing product liability, catastrophic injury work, I'm kind of a blood and guts lawyer, I guess. But I also do some medical malpractice work as well as uh, serve as appellate counsel for a number of our clients as well. Super impressive resume. Um, so obviously, because I, we think you're so impressive, we, we were doing a lot of research for this interview. And we learned uh, one of the most important things I think we learned was that your practice was founded on something known as the firm first principle. Uh, can you sort of explain to our audience what that principle is and, and how your practice has gone about putting that principle into action over the years? Sure, I'm happy to. So, you know, I feel like I am so blessed, Nick, because I'm a part of a law firm that when we were founded back in 1990, we were founded by three great leaders, Warren Lightfoot, Sam Franklin, and Jerry White. And they always, as leaders in our firm, they led by an example, and they always emphasized the importance of relationships and about caring about each other and being excellent service to clients and service to each other, to the firm. And so as part of that, when they built our culture, they intentionally place the collective success of the firm over their own personal interests. And that's what we here at Lightfoot call firm first is what the term that we've coined it. And it really is a fundamental, non-negotiable core value that impacts everything we do here at our firm, from the way that we work up our cases to even the way that we compensate our members. Um, to give you some examples, um, all clients, they're not an individual lawyer's clients. They are our firm clients. And we, unlike, I'm not sure I know of any other firms uh, 
certainly I don't locally, we do not pay our partners based on origination. We don't even track origination. Uh, when a client calls us with a particular case or particular need, the lawyer who gets the call in looks at who in our firm is best seated, suited for that client's needs in that particular matter. And so the lawyer who received the call may not even be part of the team that works on that particular case. Uh, another example is once we have assembled that team, we intentionally push the case responsibilities down to our younger members of the team because you know that's really our future is the younger lawyers of Lightfoot. And so it is crucial for them to be developing client relationships and trust early. And so, you know, if we have good news to share with a client, we get the younger lawyer to call the client. If we have bad news, then the older lawyer calls the client. Um, you know, I could give you a long list of the types of things where Firm First works into how we do things here, but it certainly is a non-negotiable core value that we vigorously protect. And it also is a major driver of our culture here at Lightfoot. So I'm starting to get a picture of, uh, of why you guys are so successful. And uh, so I have a, my brother-in-law works for a really, really, really big corporation. Um, he's in artificial intelligence, really smart guy. And uh, he wanted me to come and, uh, and like learn about what he does. Uh, Cause we were just talking about it. And he's telling me that they have these like tenets by which everybody abides by in the building. Um, and I'm reading them and I'm like, this is so silly. You know, why would you, why would you write this down? These are silly rules to, and, and he's like, it totally, you're totally right. It's very silly, but what it serves to do is that it cuts through a lot of the back and forth and like egoing of each other in a project. And mm -hmm. it's like, well, you know, one of our core tenets is that we've agreed to um, put the company first, right? So, it doesn't matter who gets the credit for this project as long as we sort of cut through the noise and make sure that we deliver the best um, service to our client. Yeah. And uh, and I I, th I think about that often because I'm like, you know, things can be corny to me um, in uh, in sort of theory, but when you actually practice them, right? Like it's it sounds you might say, oh, like Melody, she goes on podcasts and talks about her firm as uh, being firm first. Okay, but what does that actually do? It's really, it's really, really good for the collective, right? And it's mm -hmm. sort of, it guarantees that everybody is either going to succeed together or fail together, and and that that provides a lot of, uh, I think, individual security, right? It doesn't, it it doesn't leave anybody hanging out to dry, um, which is sort of like, not sort of, it's a team mentality, uh, which I I very much appreciate. You're exactly right. You know, and that's the thing though, you know, we have these values. It's important for you to know your values. It's important for you to define your values, but it's also important to live by the values. And if you say your value is one thing, or you have some corny saying, you've got to make sure you live it up to it too. You got to talk the talk, but you also got to walk the walk to build that healthy culture. That's right. And I think that's where um, I might, I might be using the wrong vernacular to describe because when I say corny, corny is one of those things that it's like, oh, it sounds good, but it's not practical because nobody does it. Um, it's not really corny if it's followed through with action and uh, and leads to success. Then it's just then it's just a core principle of of your of your working environment. Um, and so when when creating a culture, right? Mm -hmm. 
because you talked about the leaders um, who are obviously the founding members of the firm. How big of a role do the leaders at the top of the firm play? Uh, and, and, and how important is it to have all of them really buy into the process of creating a positive culture? It is hugely important. You know, as, as, as a leader, I personally believe that your primary job, your number one priority is to drive that positive culture in your organization and to create the culture that energizes and encourages the people in your organization that fosters relationships and collaboration and teamwork of your organization. And that also that empowers and enables your, the people, the colleagues to grow and to do their best work. And it takes a lot of work uh, and it takes a lot of intentionality to do that and to be an effective leader. I mean, it is not easy to take a group of individuals with varying viewpoints and unify them into a team that's working together toward a common goal and a, and a shared vision. And I mean, you're going to face adversity. You're going to face negativity. You're going to face difficult situations um, as a leader. And another thing is culture is not static. It's not like you say, oh, wow, we've got this great culture. And then you just put it on autopilot. It doesn't work that way. Um, you know, a, a leader drives the culture and a leader has to be 100 percent committed to the process of maintaining or building that culture through their actions, through their words, through their decisions and they've got to do it at all times and at all circumstances. So it is just tremendously important for the leader to be behind what the culture of the organization, what you're seeking it to be. Melody, you have turned me into a bobblehead because I just cannot stop <laughs> nodding along in agreement with what you're saying. Um, and it, it, it goes back to what we were just talking about, right? Is if you don't practice what you preach, then why would everybody follow you, right? Then it becomes this sort of silly thing that, you know, it, it's writing on the wall, you know, it's, it's, it's listed on, uh, it's, our, it's our firm motto, but nobody really adheres to it. So uh, why would I care? Um, Bingo. So, so I know that it's, it's important for the leaders to sort of not only believe their, their, their values that they want to instill in the culture, but to lead by example. Um, but what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see law firm leaders make mm -hmm. as it pertains to culture that can sort of um, water down the, the firm culture? Sure, sure. Uh, you know, one that comes to mind is, as I mentioned, you're going to have negativity in the organization um, uh, at times. It is confronting that negativity and if needed, removing that negativity. Cause you know, okay. I mean, I, I'm a litigator. We practice law, you know, that's generally viewed as an adversarial profession perhaps, but confrontation is not fun and confrontation with your colleagues is never fun. Um, but negativity is going to exist. And if you just sort of stick your head in the sand or ignore it, uh, it's just going to continue and it's going to fester, it's going to grow, and it can sabotage your organization and sabotage your culture. 
So when you have that negative negativity or you have that uh, someone that's um, doing something that's eroding the culture or not treating people fairly or whatever the circumstance is, you've got to confront it as unpleasant as it is. And what I generally try to do um, is um, unless it's something that we've just got to take immediate action and, you know, get rid of somebody, um, you know, is if it is a situation of, of, of negativity, you know, I first try to listen to them with empathy, try to understand where they're coming from and their perspective. And then I try to address their concerns, try to transform it. But if you cannot transform it and it continues, you've got to remove it because your loyalty is not to that person. Or even if that person's a rainmaker in your organization, you know, your loyalty as a leader is to the entire organization. And it's to creating that healthy environment for for everyone where other employees or employees can fly, can thrive. Um, so, so that's one place that I really do see leaders sometimes struggle with and, and make mistakes in by not dealing with those situations. You know, one other one that comes to mind is the old, and I hear it all the time, well, that's just the way we've done it around here. Uh, and it works and looking not to change. But law firms are not always, they don't, they change over time. The people in the organization change. The generations in the law firm and the perspectives change over time. And so the old way of doing things may have worked 10 years ago, but it may not be the best thing for driving your culture today. You know, an example that comes to mind with our younger lawyers, our associates, they are always really looking for and crave real-time feedback from our partners about the work they're doing, how they're doing. And, 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 you know, on the other hand, I think back to sort of like baby boomers, my, my, my perspective or the, what I think of that is more, I've got a job, I'm keeping a job. I'm just be doing okay. I'm gonna keep my head down and working. I mean, that's an example of old way of doing things, new way of doing things. So as a leader, You've always got to be looking for how you can be improved and really looking for those new ideas and understand the old ways may not be the best for the culture of today in your organization. I love that perspective um, because one of the things that I always preach is, is meeting people where they're at, mm -hmm. um, but it's also tending to each individual person's needs. So even though you know you have a firm first culture, that doesn't mean that you can't treat everybody the way that they need to be treated, right? It's equity, not necessarily equality. Um, and so if some of the younger associates need feedback on the work that they're doing because they're looking to improve or maybe they're insecure and they're not sure, um, then maybe you can train them a little better. And somebody else who doesn't want any feedback, um, maybe they don't need any feedback and they're doing a good job and, and maybe you just say good job, you know? it's. Mm -hmm giving each individual what they need so that everybody can work together or, or work better as a whole. I agree. Um, so I want to talk about the day to day because I think that this mindset is definitely a long-term mindset, right? You set a culture and it's, it's for long-term success. You don't set a culture and then change it every day because you have a new, you know, it definitely does change and it fluctuates, sure. but, um, how how much can a, can in implementing a, a, a I want to say like a 
a positive culture, right? Mm -hmm. How much can implementing a positive culture impact the day-to-day -day success of a firm? I mean, without question, the positive culture in any organization, I think gives it a competitive advantage. Sports teams, law firms, you know, corporations, um, it definitely gives you an advantage and leadership is key to that because um, based on my experience and everything I read, employees are going to be more engaged and they're going to be more loyal to the organization when they know that the firm cares about them, that leadership cares about them, that they're heard, that they're valued, and also how they contribute, that they're playing an important part and have a purpose in what the organization is doing and that they're part of a bigger vision. You know, I mean, personally, again, I said, I feel like I'm so blessed to work where I have. I've worked here since I graduated from law school. And I think back to my 28 plus years that I've been here at Lightfoot and how the culture of the firm uh, really influenced me. And so for me, I mean, from the time that I was a baby lawyer, you know, fresh out of Vanderbilt where I went to law school, I always believed that I was part of a team of colleagues and that they cared about me, they encouraged me, they wanted me to succeed, they importantly allowed me to be myself, to be who I am and gave me opportunities to grow and to learn and to do my best. And so growing up in a firm that was that way, I always wanted to give my best back to the firm because, you know, these were my people. I, I felt like it was my responsibility to do, make darn sure that I was giving my best for my colleagues and for our clients and that I was doing my part. And so, I, absolutely, I think the culture that you're in, it can it can drive and productivity where people thrive and it can also kill productivity because people aren't inspired or don't feel that tied to the to their colleagues. See, I, I find this so interesting because you've obviously had a very a long and successful career at one law firm. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me, because I believe you, that the firm has sort of always been this way. Um, it had a, a positive culture that was implemented and that you, by being in it, learned so much that not only is it a great workplace for you, but it's been so successful. And I think because this is rare, right? I, I, I hate to say it about the legal profession, but it, it's rare to find a culture of a successful firm. It's been around for a long time with as many lawyers as you guys have um, that looks like this. And I think it's, here's why I like it, is that people are afraid of change because they don't think the change is gonna work out for them. Mm -hmm. uh, they think that they have to be tireless, working tirelessly. I have to be a rainmaker for the firm. Uh, I have to get my work billable hours up. I have to cut down somebody else in order to advance. And, uh, and, so by providing this model and, and showing other firms that this is possible, I think you guys are doing a great thing. Um, I do want to I, I want to ask because I think that the people who need to hear this most are the law firm leaders. So I want to ask you, as uh, the obvious leader, how often should um, how often should you be checking in on and reexamining your 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 process and your culture? And what does that evaluation process look like? Like, what are you, what are you specifically looking for, and, and what are you sort of fine tuning um, when you find it? 
Sure. You know, that is, I think, an excellent question because I believe a lot of leaders, you know, they they think that they are fostering a positive culture, but they don't really apply the rigor to measure or determine how others in the organization are perceiving the culture. And and I mean, I've seen it. Unfortunately, there sometimes is a divide between what a leader thinks the culture is or what they're saying the culture is, and then what is the perception of those in the organization that may not be in leadership about what the culture is. You know, and and I mentioned this earlier, I mean, the values that an organization states or their values have to match the values that are modeled by that organization. Um, and, and when it comes to evaluating culture uh, in an organization, you know, what I've seen is often leadership sort of uses a, for lack of a better term, kind of a, you know, finger in the wind approach. Oh, yep, feels good. You know, it's, it's all feels okay to me. So all is good. But that's not really enough. Because if, if you think about it, your culture is arguably one of the most important factors for increasing productivity as well as retaining talent, uh, which, you know, of course, retainer talent is a big topic of today with people moving around so much. So when you think about how do you monitor the health of culture in a quantifiable, measurable way, um, you know, you've got associate retention, you've got staff retention, but the problem is when those numbers sort of raise a red flag in your mind, it's too late. And so, um, what I would recommend is that leadership and law firms consider taking a more proactive report approach and think through how can we quantify those internal values that influence our culture. And, and I want to be clear on that. I'm not talking about external facing values like our expertise or our client service or our reputation. What I'm talking about is those internal values that drive culture like respect, like collegiality, um, inclusion, uh, collaboration, professional development. I mean, there's, there's many of them, but it's those values that makes your firm an enjoyable place and an enriching place to work. So, you know, one idea is consider your firm doing an anonymous survey of everybody in the firm partners, associates, staff, but an anonymous survey every six months or so and asks everybody to rate on a scale of one to 10, the firm's excellence in demonstrating whatever those internal values are. You know, how is the firm in excellence in demonstrating collegiality? How is the firm doing in demonstrating collaboration? And then look at those scores. And if a score falls lower, implement initiatives to try to bring that score up, to try to do better in that area. And then the six months later, when you have the next survey, see if it's improved. Uh, and if it hasn't, do more. I mean, that's just one idea. There's, there's, there's different ways one can evaluate, but you know, whatever method it is that you're using to check up on your culture, I believe that doing something in measurable, quantifiable ways on how everyone perceives the firm, not just leadership, is what is needed to really put that check on your culture and drive the culture that you want. 
We will be right back after this short ad. When a client calls, they're really looking for immediate service. Because we have Answering Legal, we're able to see every client message and we're able to contact our clients immediately. My name is Margot Gaines and I'm a partner at Gaines & Musico. We started using Answering Legal because we were unable to answer all of our phone calls. Answering Legal has allowed my firm to get hired on numerous clients that we never would have. We get messages throughout the night and on the weekends. Sometimes we're in court or we're dealing with other clients. And because of Answering Legal, my partner and I are able to address any client concerns or any new clients immediately, and it's really increased our business. Answering Legal has allowed us to service our clients in a way that their needs are met and their phone calls are answered, and we're able to spend more time doing the things that are necessary for our clients. I can't tell you how smart I think that those ideas are. Um, and one of the hot button to topics that I keep seeing um, pop up and up a pop up all over the place. I'm sorry, I'm fumbling my words. I'm trying to speak too fast. My brain is I'm racing. Uh, is uh, this this concept of quiet quitting in the workplace. And when I see quiet quitting, I see unmotivated and unproductive employees, right? Because I, I view it from a leadership standpoint, is what would make somebody not want to do their job to the best of their ability? Why would somebody sort of resent the organization um, and, and therefore leadership in the organization to the point where they don't want to be as productive, they don't want to do their job, they're not enjoying what they do. Um, and then in the reverse, like how can I combat, uh, combat that, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you obviously had one of the, the better ideas that I've heard about doing an anonymous survey. Um, but so not only is it hard to keep people productive and motivated, I think it's even nowadays, it's even more of a challenge to just get them to stay, right? Yeah. Uh, employees are just quitting and leaving and finding other opportunities. Um, and it's, you know, there's been a market shift and a reset and, and salaries and wages are catching up. Um, but as that slows down, it's important to sort of uh, get back on track when, as it comes to employee retention. And it seems like you probably have the answer for me, but what has been your practices approach, um, when it comes to keeping the great employees in place and incentivizing them to stick around long-term? You know, I, I will say I, I am proud because we have had, uh, good retention in both staff and associate ranks, even, even as you're seeing a lot of folks changing from firm to firm. I'm and, not surprised by that at all. Well, you know, it's, and I'll say, I mean, you know, of course we do have market competitive compensation, but the thing is, is that when you look at, when you read about this and also just with human nature, sure, you need to be competitive, but that does not make people, that's not what really drives employees happiness or keeps them around. Um, you know, what really keeps people to stay in the organization is that sense of, loyalty that I've mentioned that comes from your relationships, that comes from knowing I am valued for my skills as a lawyer. I am valued for my worth as a human being. And, and I know that the people that I work with care about me. 
that's what drives people to stay. You know, I, it's interesting because on this very topic, um, I heard a speaker actually just yesterday, which is this kind of timely, talking about how uh, there is the, she called it the ABCs of happiness in the workplace and, and how to retain talent and, and psychological well-being and preventing burnout in the workplace from the ABCs of well-being. And, and you know, what those ABCs were, one A was autonomy, which is everyone wants to have that sense of choice and that I'm choosing to do this and I have some sense of freedom it aligns with my values and goals. So I'm choosing to do this. B was so important, belonging. I feel like I am connected to the people I work with. I feel like I am part of a group that cares about me, that sense of community. And then C was competence, which is I'm getting better at what I'm doing. You know, I'm getting the opportunity to master new skills. I'm getting the chance to to develop into an excellent lawyer from because this firm is providing these opportunities to me. And of course, what drives all those things comes us back to square one, which is your culture, you know, and it's providing that culture that gives those ABC needs to your employees. That's what keeps your employees around, I believe, not just the amount of money that you're throwing at them. I've, I appreciate you sharing that ABC is that acronym, I guess, um, because I, I love to like, I, I go to people's webinars, I read a lot of material on leadership and, uh, and running a business and all that stuff. And so for a long time, this company, this business was all in person. Everybody who worked here, worked here physically. And obviously over the last few years, uh, my team is fully remote um, besides for me. Uh, and a lot of the employees here are fully remote. And so we've started, obviously we have a sales team that's still in person because they all just live here and nobody's moved away and why not come if we still have the office space. Um, and it provides us with uh, like real fellowship and camaraderie and companionship in the workplace, which is something that, that I think we can agree is important, right? Belonging. Mm -hmm. um, and we have a new hire who has been tasked with managing our remote sales team, right? And the performance of the remote sales team was like abysmal, honestly. And uh, and he came to me, um, I wanna say like a month or two ago and was like, I don't know what to do. I, I don't, the people are leaving, I have high turnover. And he's like, and I'm not a bad guy. I'm not treating these people poorly. Like we pay well, nobody's really like unhappy, but I can't get anybody to show up and, and so on and so forth. And we had a really long conversation with him. And, uh, and what we figured out as like a, a next step for him to try out was to make a team workspace for all of the remote people to get to know each other and talk all day. Um, so we, we started like a Slack channel. We started a private um, video chat room where everybody can sort of hear and see each other and, and point out and this, that, the third. And uh, that had almost an instantaneous success for this guy. He came in uh, like a week later and was like, I can't believe how well that worked. All I had to do was just put them all in a room together and mm -hmm. make them all like talk to each other. And, and he does a lot of the other things that you were just talking about. And, uh, and I really, 
I, I want to say I respect you so much because you don't claim these ideas as your own, right? Uh, some of the smartest people I know have said, I don't have any original thoughts and I never plan to, you know, I, I take what other people have proven is successful. I implement it and then, uh, you know, I tweak it to make it my own. Uh, but that was just so powerful for me to hear that thought out so well. Autonomy, belonging, and then what was C? I got I to know. Competency, which means that you're giving me the tools, you're giving me the way for me to get better, to learn more, to master new skills, you know, to, to so, and, and so you're giving me the environment that allows me to thrive and to learn. I talked about corny before, but I literally just got goosebumps. <laughs> um, I want to talk about this because I think that people don't see, I'm going to, I'm going to drop the bomb. I don't, I don't think people see diversity as important as I think that they should see diversity. And I'm curious because I know that embracing diversity is a key component of your practice's culture. So can you tell us a little bit more about some of the efforts your firm has made to not only uh, build a diverse staff, but create an environment where a diverse staff is able to thrive and achieve long-term success? Sure. So, you know, that's one thing that that's a, that is a top priority of ours is really focusing on creating but not just creating, but maintaining a firm of talented, diverse individuals who come from all backgrounds, who feel welcomed and valued and, and know they can be themselves. And, you know, it is so important, I believe, in any organization. And, and of course, I come from the perspective of a law firm, but from a law firm to have diversity because it strengthens our organization it, it, and bringing different perspectives together and different ways of doing things improves service that we can provide to our clients. It enhances our, our creativity and it really, it makes Lightfoot a more fun place to work too. So, you know, from a hiring perspective, we hire most of our lawyers out of law school. We go through the summer program and we're very intentional about going to law schools and hiring, recruiting, identifying, I've said that backwards, but really identifying and then recruiting and hiring young talent out of the law schools. And we also even try to identify them before they go to law school. Of course, we do law school interviews. We do, we go to, um, minority job fairs where you can interview minority candidates regionally and nationally. But we also have taken some initiatives in recent years, such as we'll send a group of lawyers and they'll go to the Black Law Students Association chapter at Alabama or Vanderbilt or some of the schools where we recruit. And they'll talk to the students about different techniques like interviewing skills, you know, how to do an effective law, uh, law firm interview. Um, and we'll meet potential candidates that way. About two years ago, we started a diversity scholarship. And what it is, is we give it to a law student who will come here, work in the summer as part of our summer program for six weeks, and then has a $10,000 scholarship for the following year. And that's a way that we're meeting good, uh, diverse candidates. You know, we also, for before law school, we started two years, a pre-law program that we bring in diverse students who are either in college or between college and law school um, who are interested in going to the practice of law and they'll come to Lightfoot for a week and we talk to them and, and, and about um, and let them have some experience with, um, you know, what it's like to practice law, to learn more about the firm um, 
And so from those initiatives, we've seen a real uh, increase in diversity, both in our summer associate program, as well as in our associate ranks. And ultimately, even if these law, even if this diverse talent doesn't come to Lightfoot, these initiatives are also a way for us to foster the development of diverse young talent in the legal profession who may go on to other paths. Um, so that's, you know, a beneficial uh, result of it, both for the firm and also for the profession. But, you know, hiring is just, of course, the first step because you've got to keep lawyers here. And so we really have to and we intentionally try to create that environment that allows young lawyers to develop the relationships with their colleagues of all ages uh, and work on a variety of cases that fosters that trust, that motivates them, that creates that sense of belonging that we talked about. So when an associate arrives at Lightfoot, they get two mentors, they get a, a partner mentor and they get an associate mentor. But then they work on all kinds of cases with all different partners and associates so that they're getting exposed to different different folks. They're building relationships with different lawyers in our firm. They see different styles. They see different cases. Makes a better lawyer as well as just makes it more fun. Um, and then we also focus, I talked about pushing work down, but from day one, we are focused on making sure that our lawyers get opportunities to take those depositions, to argue the motions, to, to communicate with the clients and, and other counsel and get to do that real lawyer work that they think of in law school that puts you on the forefront instead of being just behind the scenes uh, at your desk or in the library. And we also, as part of that track, diversity of our client teams, who's going to client meetings. We track diversity in our leadership, really all aspects of firm operations. I mean, I, I have to kind of be proud here. Of course, I'm a woman. I'm the managing partner. We've got a black COO uh, who's been with the firm, you know, almost as long as I have. We've got a, a woman hiring partner and we've just we have diversity really in all of our different leadership committees. And so, and as part of that, we really just intentionally look at who is at the table and we look at the opportunities for our diverse colleagues to be at the forefront, whether it's in leadership roles, whether it's in client pitches, presentations, but making sure that they are being heard and they can develop relationships that help them thrive and grow. Um, so, I mean, diversity has been a, a, um, a value of an important value to us really since we founded the firm three decades ago. But I will say in the last 10 years or so in the last decade, we've stepped up our game with much more trying to be much more systematic with our DEI initiatives. And it really has paid off and, and given us significant progress toward building that generation of highly diverse, experienced lawyers and, and professionals for the decades to come. Uh, but, you know, you never, you're never good enough. I mean, we're always looking for new ways that we can improve as a firm and and diversity and, and inclusion um, definitely remain top priorities as we're always looking for ways to do better. You've given me a great uh, idea um, and inspiration because uh, I, I run a scholarship for uh, this company, obviously, and I'm probably going to set up because I already have a foundation um, I'm going to set up a diversity scholarship and, uh, and, uh, and, and try to do 
try to do outreach that way. Um, cause there's not really, we're not lawyers here. We just answer the phones. Um, but what we can do is give back to the legal profession that, because obviously it's been very good to us. Um, and that's, we, so our scholarship is called the future attorneys of America scholarship, because what better way to give back to the legal profession? I mean, lawyers make money. You guys are pretty good at that. And we try to educate lawyers and, and be a, a good service to, uh, to help their practices run better. Um, but you know, we, we could be doing better for, uh, the next generation, like what you're talking about. So I, I thank you for that. That's, that's, that's really helpful to me. Um, Thanks. I mentioned this before uh, about working remote and I wanna ask you because I think over the past few years, many firms have started to not only change the way that they operate, um, but m having most of their staff working out of the office and, and separate from one another. Mm -hmm. So how much more difficult does this make the task of building a culture or, or implementing the culture? Um, and what types of adjustments might law firm leaders have to make moving forward if they if they're in this circumstance? You know, so I, I will say building a culture when you have remote work environment is going to require a intentional effort. It's going to require different approaches than when we were all in the office together. But the fundamental principles of building that healthy culture, the trust, communication, you know, community alignment, teamwork, relationships, that's all the same, whether you're sitting in an office building together or whether you're all sitting, you know, in your homes and working remotely. But of course, the methods to achieve those things are definitely different and they're going to require a lot more creativity and intentionality and a new way of doing things. Now, I'm going to confess, uh, Nick, you know, while we have folks that will work remotely a day here, a day there, you know, for the most part here at Lightfoot, we're actually back in an office, in office workspace uh, and our staff is, as is our attorneys. And I will say that's really a huge relief to me because, you know, kind of like you were talking about your coworker and struggling with this whole thing of, of, of keeping people cohesive and together and motivated it is, to me, it would be difficult. I struggle with how we could maintain sort of this close-knit feeling of community that we have here if all of us were working remotely. It can be done, but I, it, I will say it is a, an important part of our culture is that ability to we're very open door firm. I mean, we sort of pre, we preach to our young lawyers when they come in, you know, if you have a question, come to my office. My door's open. I want to talk to you. No question is, is a dumb question. We're here to help. We want to share ideas. And so, you know, that's such an important part of our culture. It's easier to do that and to train those attorneys and, and, and to have that sort of impromptu interaction when, you know, an associate can walk from two doors down and come in my office and sit in my office, or we can sit in the break room or, you know, it's easier to do that than try to set up a Zoom chat or an email or a phone call. Now, I do think what your what your coworker did, I mean, those are the types of things that you have to do because you've got to keep people in communication. You've got to keep them seeing each other face to face and building, keep those relationships going and communication going um, or people will begin to feel isolated. But I, I tell you, I mean, I'm, I'm very glad that we are mostly in or that we're in the office because 
I think it could be very difficult to, at least with our culture, to really maintain it to the level that we have it today if we were all remote. I'm sure it can be done. Other leaders probably have more expertise than I do on that question, though. I always tell people that I'm like a puppy. I need you to pay attention to me. Um, <laughs> I just, I, I need the interaction. I need to see, I need to hear you. And, and so running my uh, arm of the company remotely was initially a real challenge for me. Um, and so I recently made a hire and I was really, in the beginning, I was apprehensive to sort of intentionally hire somebody uh, for a remote position because I wanted to meet the, I wanted to meet like the market equilibrium, right? People are looking for remote positions, especially for the job that I was hiring for um, in, in the marketing field. And, uh, and I also wanted to open myself up to the best talent that I could, um, not just in my local area, um, which doesn't really sound like much of a problem for a law firm because people go to an extra three years of school to become a lawyer. Um, so I think relocating for that sort of opportunity is a different thing. And uh, it, it was a real challenge because I'm, I'm not the type of person, I didn't like working from home. I did it for, uh, for like two years when we had to, uh, everybody was quarantined. And uh, when, I, when I was given the opportunity to come back to the office because only leadership was allowed in the building and I got the vaccine and all that stuff, uh, I jumped on it. And, uh, and so it's just, it's like you said, it's about being intentional. And uh, I try to make myself available to my team as much as they want to hear from me. I'm sure that I annoy them. Um, because like I said, I'm like a puppy and puppies can be annoying, even though I love them. Uh, <laughs> but Melly, I can't, I really can't thank you enough for sharing your expertise and your wisdom on this topic with us today. Um, I want to, just as the outro, I want to give a special thank you to all of our listeners. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. We will be back with another episode of Everything Except the Law soon. But um, everything that we covered, links to everything um, covered in today's conversation will be found in the description of this episode. Um, so if you want to hear more from Melody, we will have links to other resources of podcasts and, uh, and documentation. Uh, and we hope to see you in the next episode, everyone.